This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, Darkness Prevails here. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. This week, I've got some terrifying Louisiana encounters and a couple of search and rescue horror stories to frighten your day. Also, I just had a baby, so it might take me a while to get back into the groove of full-sized episodes. I usually try to aim for 90 minutes per weekly episode, but bear with me for a while as episodes might be shorter here and there. Remember to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. I'm looking for stories about security, and encounters with crawlers. Those are creatures resembling pale, nude humanoids in the woods or abandoned places. Follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails to stay up to date with me and other things, and check out the new episode of Freaky Folklore, featuring the terrifying Smiling Man. Now, let's begin. Into the Woods From Winter Willow It all happened so fast that I'm still wrapping my mind around it. Any plausible explanations fall short. Here in Mississippi, we've become accustomed to hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods. So the fact that a Category 2 hurricane was heading our way didn't raise any concern. After Hurricane Katrina, no Category 2 is going to make us up and leave our homes. On that morning, I'd awaken to the usual morning sickness that I'd become used to during this pregnancy. My husband came to check on me, and after assuring that I was fine, he wandered back outside to begin tightening loose things down in preparation for the approaching storm. As I lay down in my bed, my phone rang on the dresser beside me. Hello? I answered, wondering who could be calling me this early on a Sunday. The number displayed was unfamiliar to me. Is this Mrs. Maddie Winter? A gruff voice asked. This is she. How can I help you? I answered a little concerned. Yes, ma'am. This is Ranger Jim here at Lake Geiger. He explained. Are you any relation to a Mr. Uh, Paul Randall? The name he gave me was of my Uncle Paul. I knew that he had a fishing spot there at Lake Geiger. Yes, sir, I'm his niece. Is he okay? I cautiously asked. Well, ma'am, to be honest, we don't know for sure quite yet. You see, we can't find him. He trailed off to gauge my response. My heart rose to my throat, hearing him say this. A mix of confusion and panic came rushing through me, and tears began welling up in my eyes as he calmly explained to me the few details they had. He said that some fishermen called in a report of a ghost boat circling the backside of the lake. Rangers managed to catch the vessel and board it to switch it off. They found two unopened beers, fishing gear, and a life preserver. They made rounds on the lake to search for my uncle, but with no luck. They found his truck parked in the usual spot with the doors unlocked and all his information in the middle compartment. Ranger Jim assured me that his team would keep searching the lake as much as they could, but it would be helpful if I came to the lake and filled out some paperwork. I'm on my way, I managed in a hurried tone as I yanked my closet open, grabbing for my clothes and water boots. I hung up the phone, throwing it into my bag. As I made it out the door, I bumped into my husband Greg. He could see I was distressed. He pulled me into his arms and held me tight. Honey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Is it the baby? He asked, startled. My husband was always such a strong man, truly a Mr. Fix-It. Any issue that arose, he would be there to solve it. At that moment, I could barely explain what the ranger had told me. Okay, Maddie, let's keep calm and call your grandparents to let them know, and I'll drive you there. I was eight and a half months pregnant with our first child. I was happily surprised, but I'll admit, 
We were not expecting to start our family so soon after getting married. We'd been together five years before our wedding last year. As for my uncle, he was a solitary type of man. He had been married once when he was younger, but soon was divorced and never remarried. He enjoyed his alone time on Lake Geiger. He had a love for fishing and the outdoors, and could often be overheard, planning one trip after the next to fill his time after he retired from the paper mill five years ago. He had a long-time group of buddies that would accompany him on his excursions from time to time, but he was usually alone. One other thing to know about my uncle is that he took water and outdoor safety very seriously. He always came prepared for the worst. I'd lost touch with him in the past few months, as I became so busy planning for the arrival of my first child. I'm sure he understood. Having no children of his own, he practically adopted his nieces and nephews. He was always taking us outside and showing us the joys of hunting, fishing, and camping. That's why to hear that he was missing was a shock to my system. During the 45-minute car ride to the lake, I couldn't help but play the ranger's words over and over in my mind, trying to come up with a rational explanation for all this. The life preserver was found in the boat. This was devastating to me, because I knew how out of character that was for him. If he had fallen out of the boat without the life preserver, I don't think it would have been a big deal to him, as my uncle was a terrific swimmer, and the lake was not all that deep. He always left his truck unlocked, and he never carried his old flip phone with him onto the lake out of fear of dropping it in the water. As we approached the lake, we could see the park ranger vehicles and some local police units. My heart sank as a rather chubby ranger slowly approached my husband and I. Are you the niece I spoke with on the phone? I recognized him as Ranger Jim by the gruffness of his voice. Yes, yes I am. Do you have any news? Have you found my uncle yet? I inquired, trying to keep the panic from escaping my body. No ma'am, no luck yet I'm afraid. He answered, looking downward. My husband stepped away to answer the calls that were now flooding in from my family. We have a search party out still searching the shorelines and bog. If he's out there, we're going to find him, don't you worry. He glanced at my broad belly before excusing himself to answer a phone call. A nice red-haired lady approached my husband and I. She was wearing a park ranger uniform. She introduced herself as Carly, informing us that we could stay in one of the cabins on the lake free of charge until the search was over. So we settled in. I sat down, filling out the paperwork that the ranger had given me. Sitting at the desk in front of a large bay window overlooking the lake, I couldn't help but think we should have found him by now. The lakes here in South Mississippi are not very large, not like the Great Lakes or anything that immense. He's been missing for six hours now, I told my husband as I watched him slip on his wading boots. I'm gonna go help look for him. You need to rest here, Maddie. I don't want you out searching. It's not good for you and the baby to be stressing out. I'm sure old Paul is fine. Just a little skint up, perhaps. He kissed my forehead as he left through the door of the cabin. Hours dragged by and the night fell. I sat on the porch looking out into the dark when my phone rang. Hello? But no one answered, just a scratchy static, like the speaker was underwater. Hello? I called into the phone even louder. When I was right on the verge of hanging up, through the eerie static, I swear I could have heard a voice struggling to get through. I recognized that voice. My Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul? Is that you? Where are you? My voice trembled with excitement at hearing that my uncle was still alive. I listened closely. In the woods. That was the only thing I could make out. We have people searching for you. They'll find you soon. Just hang in there. I yelled before the phone cut out. Just then, my husband pulled into the driveway. Past him, I could see telltale storm clouds building from the gulf, 
A rather cool wind tore through, blowing my hair in all directions, but I didn't care. I had to let Greg know the good news that I'd heard from my uncle. Greg, you have to go back out. He's in the woods, I exclaimed. How do you know that? He asked. He called me. I think his phone was wet or something, but it was him on the other line. He said he was in the woods. We have to call the rangers. We have to let them know. I I'll call them, Maddie. You need to go back inside. The hurricane is approaching the coast tonight. I went inside to start messaging the rest of my family, letting them know that Uncle Paul had called me, when I noticed something odd. His number wasn't showing up in my recent calls. It was as if he'd never called at all. I scanned the call log, looking for proof that he had in fact called me just a couple of minutes ago. But nothing was found. I sat confused at how that could happen. Had I dreamt that he called? No, I was 100% sure he did. It must be this darned phone acting up. Greg came in with bad news. Maddie, we can't go back out tonight. The weather's getting worse by the minute, and we can endanger other people. But Greg, he's out there, and he could be hurt. We have to keep going for a while longer. I felt the heat rising in my cheeks. Maddie, we've covered the park around the lake, and we've heard nothing and found no one. I'm sorry, but unless you can call him back and get an exact location, we have to do as the rangers say and stay put until the storm passes. I looked at the phone in my hands, scanning through the call log again with no luck. We barely ate. How could I eat, knowing that my uncle was out there braving the storm lost and alone? I had the sudden urge to go out and look for myself. I felt for sure I could find him if I did. That night, I tossed and turned, the feeling if I just stepped outside into the tree line, I could find him there. Eventually, sleep took me but no actual rest came. I had a vivid dream that I was walking down the lakeside trail, and just off to the right, I could see my uncle lying there, leg broken in the freezing rain, begging me to help him. The dream was so real, I jolted awake in a cold sweat, my heart pounding out of my chest. I made a startled cry, hearing Greg's phone ringing. He turned over and answered it. I'll be there in a sec, he responded. He got up in a hurry to go help Ranger Jim and Carly cut up a tree that had fallen on the side of the ranger station, completely blocking them in. He insisted that I go back to sleep. I walked over to the bay window. My eyes began to settle on a specific place. It was the trail entrance. A strange pull that I've never felt before urged me to get there. Get there now. I took advantage of the incident at the ranger station to sneak out and investigate. I'd be back before they even knew I was gone, and hopefully with my Uncle Paul with me. I pulled a windbreaker over me, as I didn't have a raincoat, but the rain was slacking up and the storm would soon pass. I edged the side of the lake toward the trail. My mood changed from determined to a slight feeling of foreboding as I inched closer to the trailhead. Lightning hit the sky, and thunder rolled. The wind was blowing, but not as intensely as before, and the rain was not coming down in sheets anymore. I could hear nothing but the storm overhead. I wrapped my arms around my tight tummy. The baby felt as if he was going backwards into my spine, and a nauseous feeling hit me hard. I stepped closer, thinking the sooner I checked the area, the sooner I could get back. My mind kept replaying that dream, trying to pinpoint where he might be. The trail was dark, and the wind from the storm caused a howling noise. At least, that's what I was hoping it was. We do have bears in these parts, but they are rare. Black panthers are rumored to roam, but I've only supposedly heard one once, and never seen one. The bend of the trail was coming up. I'd been on this trail a few times before but not recently. The pain in my stomach intensified, and the cold was setting in. I began to worry that I was putting myself and my unborn child at risk. I called out for my uncle, hoping that he would respond. 
I strained my ears to hear him. I was about to give up when I heard a low voice in the near distance. Maddie, I'm over here. I'm hurt. The voice sounded like my uncle, but at the same time, it didn't. Something about the voice unnerved me. I felt that I should follow to make sure that it wasn't him, crying out for me. I paced myself, calling back to him. Where are you? I shouted at the top of my lungs. My teeth were chattering as I pulled the windbreaker tighter around my belly to keep the baby and I warm. A sensation crawled up my spine. I felt intense fear and dread. I stood there, frozen in that spot, too afraid to look behind me. I heard nothing more than my heart in my chest and the heaviness of my breathing. I listened, waiting for the weird feeling to pass. The baby was still as well. He went from kicking feverishly to perfectly calm. Suddenly, a figure emerged from the trees. It had the shape of a man, but as it grew closer, I began to shake uncontrollably. It had no feature of any human. There was a big smile on its face lined with sharp, coned teeth. Its arms were longer than they should have been and loosely hanging at its side. Its gangly legs looked painfully thin and its head was tilted at an uncomfortable angle. What bothered me the most was the eyes. Very large, dark sockets with one gray eye and one pure black. The gray eye almost looked human, but it was larger than any human's eye should be. It stood out in comparison to the black orb adjacent to it. Seconds felt like hours as this thing watched me. I trembled. Slowly, I saw its gaze drift downward to my swollen belly. Instinctively, I threw my arms over it to shield my child. It focused its intense gaze back up at me as it took a step closer, towering over my short stature. My mind was screaming at me to run for my life, but my feet felt heavy and refused to budge. The thing finally spoke, but not audibly. It spoke without sound, like its voice was channeling into my brain. The voice growled, then made the most sickening laugh that I could ever have imagined. It reached a bony pale hand towards my belly, lightly dragging its disgusting nails over my stomach, still looking at me with that creepy smile. The touch snapped me out of my trance and fight or flight kicked in. I bolted away from the thing as fast as I could. I could hear tree bark being scraped and slashed at on both sides of the trail. In my mind, I could hear it taunting me with its wicked laugh. I felt my skin on my arms tear and the warm blood oozing down them. I saw the end of the trail in sight. Moonlight shined down into the clearing. It was so close, just a second more and maybe this thing would let me go. My heart pounded and I could feel pain in my belly like I'd never felt. My lungs burned as I approached my only exit. Then, just when I was about to bust out of the woods, it appeared in front of me, blocking my way. I almost fell backward from the shock. It could have caught me if it wanted to. It was just toying with me now. What do you want? I cried in fear and despair. I saw it reach its hand out toward me once again. Leave me alone. Let me go. I begged the soulless thing. How could I expect mercy from something I was sure had never been human, or even animal for that matter? It was something that I knew should not exist anywhere but the underworld itself. Its smile suddenly widened even more across its face as I backed away. A light bounced around behind it, catching my attention for a split second. When I refocused, it was gone. Flashlights and voices were the last things I remembered. The pain in my belly caused me to collapse. I was rushed to the local hospital by the rangers and my husband. They kept asking me what happened, and all I could say was into the woods over and over again. 
I awoke three days later. I didn't know what to say. Greg berated me for my irresponsible decision. The doctor said that the baby was fine, though, and seemed healthy, which was a huge relief. I lay awake in the hospital, thinking of that night, trying to make it all make sense, but no matter what I told myself, I knew deep down that nothing made sense. The thing I saw was real, but I knew that if I told my story, people would think that I was crazy, or making it up to cover up my foolishness. I wish that was the case. They asked me what happened to cause the scratches on my arms and legs, and I told them I had gotten lost looking for my uncle, and in a panic, underbrush must have scraped them. The next morning, while I was still in the hospital, the search continued for Uncle Paul. He was soon found, not far from the bend in the trail. He had been slashed all over his body. He must have crawled out of the lake and made it to the edge of the trail before expiring. The coroner couldn't say for sure what caused all the damage on his body, especially the wide gaping slit along his mouth ear to ear, like a smile, like that thing had. The theory was that perhaps he fell out of the boat and was subsequently hit by a propeller by unsuspecting boaters on the lake. The autopsy also showed that he died the day he went missing and that he'd only survived a few hours after that. His flip phone was located in his pocket, but no information could be recovered. I took the news better than expected, as my experience had numbed me to any shock that I could have felt. The only thing I knew for sure was that whatever that thing was had killed my uncle, and for some unknown reason it lured me out to it. Why didn't it do the same to me, I wondered. On the final night of my hospital stay, I'd resolved myself to forget about the terrifying figure in the woods and focus on moving forward. I let myself fully fall into a deep sleep. After all, I was exhausted from the whole experience. While sleeping, I felt that same uneasy feeling all about me. I tossed onto my side. Then, I heard a faint guttural voice growing louder at a rapid pace. I sat up with a start. As soon as I did, I felt a sharp pain cut through my lower abdomen. I lurched forward hard, screaming at the top of my lungs. Greg rushed to my side, calling frantically for a nurse. The rest was a blur of pain and exertion, but three hours later, I gave birth to a healthy baby boy. I felt a rush of relief to hear his little cry. My husband proudly cut the cord whilst I lay back. For the first time since my uncle went missing, I felt myself smile. The moment that every mother dreams about was upon me as they lay him in my arms. I looked over his perfectly formed body as he wrapped his tiny fingers around mine. But when he opened his eyes, a cascade of emotion filled my mind and body he had his dad's one perfect green eye, while the other was an ominously familiar gray eye. I felt tears of disbelief fill my eyes as I stared into his. He then looked up at me and smiled. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com dpp. Life is tough on all of us. It can already be so difficult to avoid or power through those things that stress you out or drain you. Personally, I find myself unable to enjoy the things I used to like, and I struggle to stay motivated. Luckily, finding help doesn't have to be hard, because there is BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours, unload the stressors, and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Darkness Prevails listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com dpp. 
That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash D-P-P. Thank you, BetterHelp. Kayaking from Lunar Chaos This happened the third week of July one year. I'd just gotten a kayak again for the first time after a few years, so I was pretty excited to get back out on the water and paddle off into the sunset. I made a list of all the necessary things I'd take with me to plan a camping trip that would require me to kayak out across a river and post up somewhere off the shore that was more secluded so I could stay out of sight. One hour of straight paddling, with short breaks to admire how calm the river was, how the water looked like glass, the further and further you went out, there was quite an eerie beauty to it. It was very tranquil. After that hour of paddling, I eventually reached the other side of the river, which seemed to be about a three to four mile wide bank, and I could just barely see on the horizon the beach and marina that I launched from. Anything aside from the trees were barely visible. Being out there alone really amplified the distances between things when I began to think about it. Nonetheless, I found a decent spot to set up camp for the night, and I actually got to enjoy some kayaking without the weight of my gear slowing me down. Turns out that little kayak is quite a torpedo in the water. Once I got used to the balance and motions of staying in the boat, not committing the biggest flip mistake ever, I noticed where I was. It was shallow in this area, and my oar easily touched the bottom. The ground was really soft there, like quicksand. Not really an ideal place to get stuck, so far out and all by yourself, so I tried to make as best an effort to avoid as much of it as I could. Alas, not all things were meant to be. That's not even the worst part of this story. When I went back out on foot to explore, I got stuck about up to my knees in this quickish sand, I'm not gonna lie. I began to panic when I tried to move, and just only sank. It felt like something straight out of a cartoon, only with the reality that my life was at stake. With some quick thinking, the presence of my battle buddy Mr. Stick, and the back catalogue of Bear Grylls videos I've seen since I was a wee lad, I managed to use the stick as leverage to lift and pull me out, slowly but surely. I managed to escape. That was my sign for the night to just call it in. But what happened through the night is its own story, because I don't entirely think I was alone out there. I heard something akin to someone screaming. It got farther and farther away, which was odd because I'm in the middle of what might be a marshland, and the nearest road is about 10 miles from me. So who would be out here when the sun goes down just screaming? I tried to plug my ears the best I could, until the screams stopped, or until I passed out from being sleepy, whichever came first. The next morning, when I woke up, I noticed things were moved around. The fishing line I had set out was snapped. There were small footprints on the sand where I got stuck at. One of my paddles were nearly down the stream. If it hadn't been leashed to my kayak, that would have been a bad situation. But not as bad as what was to come. I managed to locate and collect most of my scattered things. Then I loaded up my kayak and assessed the situation with the water. It was calm, like glass, which was a good thing because the air was calm, the water was calm. It was a picturesque kayaking environment. It would be an easy trip back. I didn't have my phone to check the weather, since it had died and I forgot my battery pack to charge it. I had a 12 noon deadline to make it back to where I launched from so I could get picked up. It's always good to have a plan with someone back home in case stuff hits the fan. And unfortunately, it did. Hard. I spent about 20 minutes paddling back to my launch site. I'd say maybe I got about half a mile away with about two to three miles to go. I should have been back before noon since I got up extra early to beat the tides to make sure I had time to get there without making my ride wait too long. Shortly after, I tried to gauge the distance I had left to travel. I got hit with a really strong gust of wind. This meant one of two things to me. Either I just got a convenient source of wind power, or this wind is about to get turbulent, which meant the river was going to go from calm like glass to something more violent, which wasn't good. The wind never let up, and it began to cause about three-foot wakes, I'd say, 
I was getting hit harder and harder every time one would pass. I took off my shoes to use as cups to get as much water out as possible, but in the middle of my final attempt at doing so, I was flipped over in the middle of the river, and all my stuff either sank or floated away, except for a bag I was holding, and my vest, which was hooked around my arm. Now, I wasn't wearing my vest, which was stupid of me. I was using it as a cushion, because I'd be sitting on hard plastic for hours at a time, and doing some adjustments on a kayak isn't all that easy. Or maybe I'm just not good at it yet. However, I took note that my bag was causing me to sink, and that I was in a pretty nasty situation, being that the river I'm in goes to about 60 feet deep, and there's been reports of bull sharks being in this river, with one actually being caught. I had a tackle box in the back, which had an SOS whistle in it. It was the only thing I gripped harder in my fist than my will to live, and I let the bag sink and wrestled with my vest to get it on properly to conserve energy, because I could tell that I was about to be in for the longest record swim I've probably ever done. So I looked to the sky, and I was in a reverse butterfly for about three to four hours swimming. From my estimate, I had left around 7 a.m., paddling for a half an hour, flipped over, and was swimming for the rest of the way. One of the final moments when I'd been swimming, I was checking my distance to see how far along I was. I was making moderate progress getting back to shore, but with how much the current had sent me along, I was about five to six miles away from where I was supposed to be, and I had nothing to work with but a whistle, and a drive to go forward. When I continued swimming, I got completely submerged by a wave, and while underwater, I could hear the motor of a boat, when I surfaced, I saw that there was a boat directly in front of me, closing in at about 100 feet. I had to get out of the way quick, or this thing was going to hit me. I think I was only about two feet away from the hull when it passed by me. I shook the water out of my whistle and blew it so hard. Luckily, it was loud enough to get their attention. Once the lady on the boat pointed at me, I felt relieved, like I finally got spotted and I could finally get out of that water. I didn't know how much strength my body had left until I tried to climb onto the boat. It seemed like my whole body was on autopilot for so long that I didn't have the strength to do anything but maintain the motion to get out. They called the DNR and made a report on what happened. I was seen by an ambulance and had my vitals checked. Nothing was wrong with me aside from just having fatigue from swimming for so long. And honestly, maybe it was the adrenaline but the fatigue didn't come until after I was on dry land. I just remember being exhausted and wanting to take a nap. Definitely one of the more intense experiences I faced yet. And it was pretty fun, as weird as it sounds, to have your will to fight for your mortality tested. I oddly felt more human afterwards. It is strange. This episode of Unexplained Encounters is sponsored by Quip. Your mouth care is important. Bettering your health and your smile starts with good habits. Quip makes it easy, giving you all the oral care essentials you need. Over 7 million people love the Quip electric toothbrush, thanks to its timed sonic vibrations to guide you through a dentist-recommended two-minute clean, as well as a sleek, stylish, and lightweight design for kids and adults to make it easy to bring anywhere. You can even upgrade your Quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing in the free Quip app and earn rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more. Quip is more than a toothbrush. It has everything you need to establish a complete routine, such as anti-cavity toothpaste and mint or watermelon flavors, two ways to floss via floss string or reusable floss pick, which replaces over 180 disposable picks every refill, and refillable gum that is sugar-free with long-lasting mint flavor, which comes with its own dispenser. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. With stylish and affordable electric brushes starting at just $25, you won't be paying through the teeth for better oral health. If you go to getquip.com darkness right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com darkness.
That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash darkness. Quip, the good habits company. Vampires in New Orleans from Ink Chick 13. I haven't spoken about this event in many years. I don't know if any of you will find this to be scary or creepy, but for me, experiencing this event firsthand, I was terrified. My parents divorced when I was six. They decided I'd live with my mom and see my dad every weekend. As early as I can remember, every weekend, we'd spend at least one day with my dad's best friend, Mike, and his family. Mike had two sons. One of them quickly became one of my best friends, and because of the friendship between our fathers, we literally grew up together. When I was around 12, Mike got a job offer he couldn't refuse. He and his family were moving to Mississippi. It was a sad moment for everyone involved. We knew the distance would change everything, and it felt as if we were saying goodbye to our friendship. Less than a year went by. I was then 13, and my dad tells me we're going to visit our friends during my summer break. I was elated. Now, I grew up, because of my dad, fully submerged in all things horror, paranormal, and unknown. Despite my mom's occasional disapproval of allowing me to see certain films that were far beyond my years, she too was and still is a huge believer and fanatic, like my father and I. I suppose, to put it best, in my Christmas stocking when I was a kid, I got the movie Jason Goes to Heck. It was in VHS, which might show my age. I also got a collection of four shot glasses that were made of silicone or rubber, decorated with Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and one shot glass was of body parts from their victims. Needless to say, I was raised to embrace my oddball side. However, despite believing in the supernatural, paranormal, and the unknown, I'm not one to blindly believe. With that in mind, my dad told me New Orleans was about a two-hour drive from Mike's home, and we'd be spending a day or two exploring New Orleans cemeteries, voodoo shops, taking haunted tours, going ghost hunting at midnight, etc. Fast forward to that day. We got a late start when leaving, so by the time we arrived to New Orleans, everyone was hungry, and no one wanted to start exploring on an empty stomach. We found an original Bubba Gump Jambalaya restaurant across the street from a unique gray reddish brick building that looked like someone took a chunk out of a castle and relocated it. Having a large group, we were seated at a rectangular table against the front of the restaurant, directly next to a massive window that faced the unique building across the way. One head of the table was against the wall. I sat next to the window. My dad was to my right, his now wife to his right. At the head or end of the table was Mike's youngest son, then his eldest, who was my best friend, then Mike, and across from me was Mike's wife. Throughout our lunch, the adults spoke to each other while us kids somewhat sat in silence. Picking up my food, I looked out the window, and I noticed a couple sitting at a round table for two, in a curved portion of the unique building. I got an unsettling feeling from them, and I found it difficult not to stare. Despite being male and female, they were almost identical, but that wasn't what was off. From the moment I looked at them, they hadn't moved. Both were dressed in light gray t-shirts, had jet black hair, wore 90s style all black plastic sunglasses, and had skin that was... Well, I'm extremely fair-skinned, despite having Italian and Sicilian in my ancestry. I can't tan to save my life, but these two, they weren't just white. They were ash-gray white. The entire time they sat looking at one another, leaning on their elbows, with a straw in their mouths, sipping from large white mugs. After eating, everyone took turns using the restrooms, while the rest of the party stood outside stretching their legs and letting their food settle. It had been well over an hour since I'd spotted the couple, and still they hadn't moved. I decided to ask my dad about it. 
It surprised me when he said he didn't notice them as he walked up to the restaurant and had frequently glanced at them during our lunch. My dad had always enjoyed scaring me, although sometimes he took it way too far. It was often in good fun, and that's what he started doing, teasing me. He told me they're vampires, and if they notice me staring at them, they'll make a meal out of me. We were laughing about it, when an older gentleman sitting on a bench nearby comes over to us and asks to speak to my dad. He tells my dad that he was more right than he knew. He claimed that tourism has given the beast an opportunity, and with being forced to live in the shadows all their time, they've been taking advantage of the foot traffic lately. He then told my dad to buy a protection spell from a voodoo priestess nearby, and to avoid buying anything from vendors in highly populated areas, because nothing in those shops were real. They were mocks to make money. Then the old man pulled my dad aside and spoke to him in private. I've no clue what he said to my dad, but the look on his face I'll never forget. As the group all came together, my dad held tightly onto my hand and said we needed to make a slight detour. My dad isn't a huge man, but he definitely isn't small. At 5'11", an average of 195 pounds, working out six days a week for five hours a day and being extremely fast as a minor league baseball player and retired stuntman, he didn't get scared easily. He was the intimidator, but my dad looked worried, and this worried me. While walking away, I looked back at that couple. It was the first time I wish I hadn't, though. In unison, they both turned their heads towards me, pulled their sunglasses down to their noses, and looked at me over the top of their shades. Their eyes, they were something I'll never forget. They were bloodshot. The irises were a color of red I'd never seen before or since. And they smirked at me, revealing a mouth of sharp fangs while licking their lips. It felt as if they were looking into my soul, like they could read my mind and reacted when a thought of telling my dad came to mind. I was literally thinking of tugging on his hand and telling him they moved for the first time to make eye contact with me. And just as the thought hit me, in unison, they both shook their heads, as if to tell me, no. I felt what little color I might have had drain from my body. Terrified, I quickly turned away, I had to tell myself not to turn around, but it was of no use. Less than three to four seconds later, I glanced back once more, but they were gone. That fast, just poof. Regardless of their head shake, I told my dad what happened, and he swooped me up in his arms as if I was a little girl again. I was 13, in my opinion still a little girl, but it felt like I was five again. My dad told my stepmother what was happening and although she felt it was nothing more than locals messing with us, she still did as my dad asked, to keep an extra eye on me. Although the couple had vanished, I still felt as if I was being watched. I felt like what I assume a paranoid addict would feel like, turning my head this way and that non-stop. I kept catching glimpses of them out of the corner of my eyes as we walked to our destination. Behind every corner, pillar, door, and building, and down every alleyway, I would see them, but every time I'd turn to face them, they would be gone. My dad, by this time, had put me down and made my stepmother hold one hand while he held the other. Years later, I found out that he too kept seeing them. He felt their eyes watching, and whether the thought was planted or true, he felt their strong desire to take me. It took almost 25 or 30 minutes to find the voodoo shop the local had suggested, and along the way my dad had asked other locals of its authenticity. The shop was away from everyone, down several back alleys and streets, located in the side of an old brick building. The air surrounding the place felt different. It was heavy and foreboding. However, the closer we got, the more the air cleared, as if there was a force field surrounding the building, a protection spell of sorts. As we walked up, a lady came out, startling us. Dressed in things I've never seen before, she said, Come, come, I have what you need. She scurried back into her shop. It was dark inside. 
My eyes had a hard time adjusting to the limited candle glow. I could have spent an hour in there and still wouldn't have seen everything. There were bones of different colors, shapes, and sizes all over, and old jars full of different materials, from powder to dust to feathers to gelatinous goo. Books covered the walls and scattered about. There were crystals, tarot cards, animal parts, shawls, skulls, candles, shafts, and the sort. The woman stood beside a table, grinding and mixing things in a wooden bowl, when she comes over and pricks my finger without warning. Despite me saying, ouch, no one had said anything. Squeezing my finger, she puts a few drops of my blood into the wooden bowl, mixing everything into a red powder, and puts it into a small clear vial on a thin rope-like string, and tells me once tying it around my neck that I cannot take it off until I arrive back home. The woman, staring intensely into my eyes, tells my dad and I, I can see why the vampires have chosen you. Your energy is alluring. Beware, this will stop them from feeding, but it won't stop their attraction. This will upset them. You've been warned. Everyone else had stayed outside. When we came out, they were curious about what we'd bought, thinking it was another novelty magic-themed shop. My dad said I'd wanted a vampire protection spell, playing it off as if it was nothing. When we made our way back to the tourist-filled streets, my dad and I stopped in our tracks. Standing in the middle of the street, not moving, but facing us, was the couple. They looked angered, their eyes looking at my necklace and back at my dad and I. You could actually feel the anger oozing off of them. It was sickeningly strong and started to upset my stomach. No one else seemed to notice them, and continued with their chatter and exploration of the area. The rest of the day seemed normal, despite the occasional feeling of being watched or followed. My dad and I felt the necklace prevented something bad from happening, but whether that was planted false security or the truth, I'll never know. Whether vampires exist and those two were actually vampires who found me alluring, I'll also never know. The only things I do know was I felt pulled to the couple unlike anything I'd ever felt. I've had a life full of bizarre, unexplainable paranormal events. My energy interferes with electronics including streetlights, and although the voodoo lady knew why we were there, no one had actually told her. What I don't understand is how. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the U.S. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York, deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry while Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in, or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Demonic Haunting from Wookie. Given that it's been a few years now, it's difficult to remember all the details. Granted, I still remember quite a lot, and I'll never forget that day. It was my junior-slash-senior year of college in North Louisiana. I lived with my girlfriend, across from the local over 150-year-old cemetery, I was struggling with being burnt out with school and borderline alcoholism. The latter still persists, but has decreased significantly since. I decided I was going to be involved with the church again for the first time since I was a kid. My girlfriend somewhat respected my decision, but still would joke that I was taking it too seriously. A few months passed, and she began to become curious about my newfound faith. She had left the church and thought all conventional religious thought was stupid. She began discussing with me my thoughts on her trying out other religions and such, and I told her it was no big deal, as she's entitled to her own choice. All continued on as normal, well, as normal as it can be with me being ostracized to the couch or the other bedroom due to my alcohol-induced snoring and nightly reading my Bible. I drank a lot back then. One evening, I was close to being off work, and she called me during a break, freaking out. I asked what was wrong, and she told me she had practiced a meditation ritual she found online to, quote-unquote, open her third eye to the spirit world. And even though she never really expected anything to happen, something actually answered. A couple of hours pass, and I get home to her having dinner ready. She and the dog are both waiting to eat on the porch rather than inside the house, which was normal, so I was already noticing the red flags. I greet her, and she carries on conversation like normal. However, I noticed our dog is just staring at the corner of the porch, instead of begging for food like he usually did. I also noticed she would keep glancing in that direction as well for no apparent reason. I finally asked her in a tone that conveyed my disdain for her call earlier that evening. So what'd you do that I told you was a bad idea? She told me more about her meditation and how nothing worked the first two tries, but on the third try, she had heard a voice. She said she immediately freaked out and went to go cook dinner. As she was cooking, she felt as though someone was in the room with her. She turned around to see a shadow in the middle of the room, stretching from the floor almost to the ceiling. She left with the dog and drove a few laps around the block before she felt like coming back. All was normal now, aside from the fact that she and our dog apparently could see the figure near us as we ate. She continued to tell me he was a teenager that had lived there previously and had died in a car accident. I was already very upset at the fact something had frightened her and it really drove the feeling of anger home that my dog also seemed to be afraid. I asked her if the boy said anything else, and her response was, He's been here for a long time and has tried to talk to you. He says your taste in TV is great. The statement sent a chill down my spine, as I'd usually be up well past the time she'd go to bed watching TV alone and late at night I would always watch shows about hauntings or possessions. The comment caused me to instantly feel extremely uncomfortable, and I snapped, saying, 
Well, tell him that I said he's not a person, nor was he ever a person. It's only pretending to gain some kind of trust. I also followed up with, Well, tell it I don't want it in my home, and it is not welcome here. She paused for a moment, and I noticed she and the dog looked towards the exact same spot, now closer to me than the corner, and she said, He's not happy now. He says you'll come around, though, and you'll be able to talk to him, too. She continued with, He seems nice. He loves playing with the dog and keeping him company. That was another statement that chilled me to the bone, since I've come home early from class or work before to find the dog out of his crate, with no explanation or anything as to how he not only got out, but also how he could have opened a door to get out of the bedroom while we were gone. Long story short, this type of stuff kept happening with my girlfriend waking up with bruises and scratches, and me too on occasion. We would both have horrible nightmares. I routinely had sleep paralysis almost every night for two to three months. The house seemed colder than normal even though we had terrible AC in the summer. It came to the point where both of us would argue, and we would feel instantly angry or depressed as soon as we'd just walk inside. One day my girlfriend was gone to work. I decided I was going to skip class and just drink away the overwhelming sadness and fear I was feeling in my own home. So there I sat on the porch with the dog, drinking vodka, when I decided that I'd had enough with not feeling safe in my own home. I remembered what my family had always taught me growing up, coming from several grandfathers being pastors. I had decided I was going to attempt a somewhat tipsy exorcism. Up until this point, I know this sounds like the worst idea ever, but there I went. I blessed water in a red solo cup, prayed, and chose to go back into the house, even though I didn't want to be in there in the slightest. My dog began growling and whimpering as soon as I opened the door, so I told him to stay there. He was a 110-pound Great Pyrenees, so a very protective and massive dog. But this dog was terrified to go in the house at that moment. He also hadn't gone into one room in particular to even get a toy or anything in months. I walked in and instantly felt as though 200 pounds was pushing down on my chest. I could feel no hope for anything good to ever happen in the world. I felt like somebody or something was angry and absolutely hated me and wanted to hurt me. Then random things began moving and falling off shelves and tables. By the time I got to the very back room where the meditation had occurred, aka ground zero, I was shivering from the cold I felt. It was over 100 degrees outside and we had the worst AC imaginable, and yet I could see my breath. I'm now a marine and I've been deployed and I've never in my entire life felt such fear, not how I felt it that day. I walked into that room, blessed it, heard the last rattle of furniture or whatever else was in there, and suddenly, it didn't feel cold anymore. It felt like the weight was finally lifted. For the first time in months, my home felt happy, not depressing or oppressive. I couldn't believe I actually pulled it off. As a test, I opened the door and my dog came running right in, excited as ever not a care in the world. My girlfriend came home from work a couple of hours later and asked what I did differently upon stepping into the house. She said, it just feels so much better in here. To this day, about five years later, I still can't believe I followed through with that half-drunk plan to square up with some kind of demonic entity and actually come out on top. The Three Entities From Lovely Now 49 This is my mother's story. She was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but she grew up in the southeastern part of the state. My mother told me a story about when she was a little girl. She was around 11 years old when she said this event took place. But first, for a bit of backstory... My mother didn't always stay with her parents, as they worked a lot, so she lived with her grandmother. 
but occasionally she would visit them, and it was on one of those occasions that this happened. One night, my mother, her younger brother, who was ten, and her sister, who was seven, were all playing this game to see who could stay up the longest. Well, her little sister fell asleep first, and so it was just her and her little brother left in the competition. At the time, my grandparents' house was facing the highway, and across the street was one of their relatives' houses. He was an older gentleman whose name my mother couldn't remember. My mother and her brother were still in competition, and they were both looking up at the moon because of how big and beautifully bright it was. As they watched the moon, they saw something their little minds couldn't comprehend. In the moonlight, they saw three entities floating down from the sky. They were dressed in all white, and they were holding what appeared to be umbrellas. There were two men and one woman. When their feet touched the ground, they headed straight for the relative's house that lived across the street. They walked through a small gate, then up to the front door, without actually touching either of those things. My mother and her brother were shocked at what they saw, but once they snapped out of it, they both ran to tell their parents who of course did not believe them. The next morning, when an aunt of my mother's went to check on the relative, she screamed in horror when she found him dead. My mother's parents then believed her and her brother's story about the three entities. Adding on to the story, a commenter by the username The Supernatural Scribe replied, Your post reminds me of my mother-in-law's story. When she was a little girl in the backwoods of eastern Kentucky, one night she saw a woman floating down from the sky with an umbrella. She always told us that she had not even heard of Mary Poppins either. I don't know if there was a death after what she saw, but it sounds very similar to your story. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. I saw a ghost from Story Guy. I was in third grade when this happened. I had a friend who went by Bear. His family was pretty well off, and they had a big, nice house. Bear had two older sisters, much older, T and S. At school, he told me that his house was a hospital during the Civil War, and that there were a lot of spirits in it. He said he could see them sometimes, and that he could talk to them with his Ouija board. He said it's okay, because there were good ones that protected him from the bad ones. Being in third grade, I didn't even know what a Ouija board was, and I didn't think much of or care about the spirits. Even so, going to his house was a lot of fun for me, because his family was really nice. They had a Nintendo, a four-wheeler, a creek where you could dig up old glass medicine bottles, just about everything a third grade boy would find amazing. Plus, I didn't even have an understanding of the paranormal. So we were at his house. His older sister, S, was in New Orleans for the weekend, and T was somewhere else. So it was just us and his parents. It had gotten to be pretty late, and we were in the upstairs living room playing Nintendo when it began to turn off and come back on on its own. It did that a few times, and Bear said it was time to go to bed, so he went off to his room. I stayed there, trying to get the Nintendo to work again. After a minute or so, he opened his door and very insistently told me to come on. So I did. When I got into his room, he closed the door and started to stack his books in front of it. I didn't understand why he was doing that, but he told me to help him, so I listened. We emptied his bookshelf and toy box in a pile against his bedroom door. He pulled the trundle for me and we got in bed. There was a window right next to his bed, so the outside light dimly lit the room. We were lying there talking and laughing for a while, when all of a sudden his bathroom door opened. He rolled over to face the window and told me to be quiet and to go to sleep. I didn't know what was going on, 
but then I could hear him crying. So I sat up and looked at him. I can still see his face lit by the light from the window. Tears were dropping from his nose. He was just staring out the window. He told me again to lie down and to go to sleep, seeming aggravated or angry. So I rolled back over and lay down, facing the bathroom. I was lying there for a few seconds when this blonde-haired woman came out of the bathroom and sort of glided to within three feet of me and just stood there. I could tell she was blonde and was wearing white, but I could not see any facial features. It was like there was a dim light behind her and I could only see her outline and everything inside the outline was dark. I could see strands of blonde hair sticking out. It's not like she was looking at me. She wasn't bent over or anything, just standing straight up, looking straight ahead. I've always felt like she was more or less presenting herself to me. I don't know why, but that's how it feels. So she's standing there, and I ask, Uh, S? Bear whispered, That is not S. Go to sleep. It was around then that she turned around and kind of slid back into the bathroom. The whole encounter lasted maybe 15 seconds from her coming in to her leaving again. She had stood there for maybe 5 seconds or so. That didn't scare me though. I was more confused than anything, and shortly after that, I went to sleep. The next morning, we were getting ready to go to church, and I began to run a bath. I turned on the light and water, then went to Bear's bedroom when I heard the water go off. Bear heard it too. We went back into the bathroom and turned it on. Then we walked back into his room, and it went off again. So Bear decided against his bath. He hurried downstairs instead into the dining room. His mom had just cooked breakfast, and we were all sitting at the table eating when water began to drip from the ceiling. Then it started to pour. We ran upstairs to see that the water had come back on. The bathroom was flooded. His parents were furious. They were screaming at me, blaming me for it. Bear and I were both crying, telling them that it wasn't my fault, but they wouldn't listen. They took me home, and that was the last time I was welcomed there. With that... We're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family. Follow us on Spotify and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.